Hello to our wonderful audience. I know it's been a little while since we posted a new interview, and I can promise you this episode of The Global and the Granite State is worth the wait. I am Tim Horgan, and I am the Executive Director of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire, as well as your host of this podcast. We're so appreciative of the global community that has come together around this program to make it an engaging and worthwhile endeavor. You are part of an expanding group of people from 66 different countries and all across the U.S. who engage in important discussions around global issues. Today, we bring you a powerful story of one person's escape from Afghanistan in the final days of the U.S. evacuation. This personal account can be difficult to listen to at times, but provides important insights into what life was like and continues to be like for hundreds of thousands who left their homeland. I hope you will find this conversation enlightening and inspiring. Before we get into it though, I do want to remind you all that the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire is a small nonprofit that relies on the support of our community to ensure we can continue to run these excellent programs. We need your help and you can support our work by becoming a member or donating to our cause. Visit www wacnh.org to find out how you can contribute or simply follow the link in the show's description. many, the scenes of the hectic withdrawal of international forces from Afghanistan have faded into the background. New challenges have arisen across the globe, and less attention is being paid to the country than in the days leading up to and following the chaotic exit. The Taliban are now in control of the government, but ISIS-K, the local affiliate of this terrorist group, has successfully pulled off a number of attacks inside the country highlighting the difficulty in keeping the people safe in this war-torn place. Here at the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire, we want to bring attention back to this critical issue to help people remember why U.S. global engagement matters. Today, we bring you a personal story of one person's attempt to leave the country prior to the total withdrawal of coalition forces, the challenges, and ongoing difficulties facing these people. The person behind the story, whose name we are withholding due to ongoing security concerns, actually visited New Hampshire as an international exchange participant through the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. She got to know many people here in the state and had a wonderful experience while here. The story is to help remind people that the reports you hear from Afghanistan or any other country experiencing violence are not just about numbers. There are actual people with actual lives hopes, and fears impacted by the 30-second reports you hear on the nightly news. This is just one story, but it is emblematic of thousands of others. I'm from Afghanistan. I'm Afghan, so it doesn't matter which part. But I lived my whole life, most part of my life, in Kabul, the capital. I was an export promotion director. That's the strategy we were looking forward, that we will be export 
related country, and that's what our vision was. Everything was uh, quite uh, happy, to put it in a simple way. Everyone was happy. Wow, life is nice. Yeah, we did have challenges, no matter every country, in a way, they have challenges. But overall, everyone was hopeful. Everyone was positive. Everyone was looking for something good to come the next day. There were happening some insecurities around the country, no doubt. We always had our histories full of all those conflicts and differences. But in the cities, people were enjoying their lives, enjoying the progress, enjoying the new things that are happening, especially the women are very hopeful. We have a great woman political participation that has never been in our history in parliament and ministries. And even we had women candidate as a president, even though she hasn't been able to secure that position. But that's what progress is all about. That's what development is all about. And that's where Afghanistan was going through. But suddenly, things has changed. <laughs> Those things that changed, of course, was the removal of military support for the country of Afghanistan by a coalition of countries that were dedicated to helping stand up democracy. I'm no expert in military strategy or foreign affairs, for that matter. So I am not going to go into any judgments here about the way in which this all happened. However, as we all saw, in the end, it could have gone much smoother for any number of reasons. I will leave that to you to research further and make your own decisions. As the Taliban stormed into Kabul, it was clear that the country's trajectory had been dramatically changed. However, this was a situation that was long in the making. The U.S. has always been contemplating their exit from Afghanistan from at least as early as 2009. Things really started to get serious in 2019 when then-President Donald Trump negotiated directly with the Taliban on the terms of U.S. withdrawal. This set into motion a chain of events that led to what we are seeing today, but at the time, those in Afghanistan did not see much to worry about. For us, it wasn't really worrying because we trusted our own uh, military, the capacity of the government, our police, we thought that we have this power, this strength, that we hold the country for long. Of course, economic support will always be needed for this country. But in terms of um, military support that we received from the international community, that wasn't really worrying for the public. Uh, the only worrying was the international financial aids. So when there was announcement of pulling out the military or withdrawals, Within the leadership, there were some discussions and exchanges and with the friends that we have at that level, at the level of the people, it wasn't really a matter. People talked, people were saying that as far as they are helping us in terms of financial support or economic growth, we are fine, we are doing okay. But at the leadership level, definitely there were some communications that we need to position ourselves in a way that we would be able to hold the country for long. So understanding that definitely the military, the international um, military support will not be forever in Afghanistan. They have been long enough, 20 years, it's quite long. So we thought that we will be no longer needing them. We are well established, we are well strong, we have enough support. Now let's do it ourselves with the financial support of the international community in terms of aids and economy, that would be enough. As August 31st was approaching, the US already started pulling forces out. Mind you, at the time, there were around 2,500 U.S. forces in the country, with another 4,000 or so international forces. However, there were thousands of contractors who were providing critical support and technologies 
that left along with the coalition forces. This was a major blow to the Afghans' army ability to maintain superiority, along with the many other well-documented reasons for a demoralized fighting force. This included corruption, malnourishment, and inflated recruitment numbers. In the waning days, the Taliban started to take over the various places that international partners were leaving, with their eye on an eventual return to power in Kabul. This was the start of a deterioration in security for the people of this country that continues to today. The U.S. or I would say the international military forces, because it wasn't U.S. alone, they were the biggest, but uh, the other countries also part of that. When they started pulling out from some of the cities, so the insecurity started in those cities, the conflict increases. So some of those cities fell under the hand of Taliban, even though the national uh, military were fighting them and some sort of uh, air support they were receiving from the international community. But uh, since they started withdrawing from the biggest city, so the biggest is starting failing under the Taliban's hand. And when it reaches to Kabul, it was understanding that it will be a smooth handover to Taliban because the negotiation didn't result in anything. And the government has not really agreed to go for an election. The question here is that when the U.S. military, when they pull over entirely on August 31st, it wasn't the initial decision. It was when they returned back for the evacuation. They have already withdrawn from Afghanistan, um, I believe, a month ago or something. So they handed over one of their biggest bases to Afghan military, and they have pulled out of Afghanistan entirely. But then suddenly, what happened? It is still a question that why suddenly an announcement that there will be a Taliban inside Kabul and it should be an evacuation of civilians. That's always a puzzle. Why it happened? If that was the plan, you shouldn't have been hand over all those major bases to the Afghan military or whoever. You should hold all those military until the entire evacuations go smoothly, you evacuate the entire people, it shouldn't be a chaos that has been, I don't know why there has been a chaos, why it happened. It was continuously announcement, whoever think that their life is not secure here, who are not safe, should leave and we can evacuate them. This sort of, I don't know, messages would put people in a very uneasy situation. It doesn't matter at what level you come, every individual, feel that they are not secure. It doesn't matter you work with the American military or you don't, even you are a simple shopkeeper or you are a president. Every individual under the Taliban regime, they have experienced the atrocities. So everyone was feeling not safe. And that's what has put the entire country into the chaos, especially Kabul, in a very bad chaos. Prior to their entire withdrawal, Yes, not only the country, the captured Kabul has been insecure, not only in terms of the attacks, but crimes. The crime rate has gone very high. They didn't have the control. Even the people who were in police or military, they are starting being part of those crimes or they, their uniform has been used in a way that they have been part of the crime. So already people were fed up with what was happening in Afghanistan. From the past one month prior to the collapse, people were fed up with the regime. People were fed up with the leadership. People were asking for security, asking for safety. 
salaries of the civilians, the civil servants were not paid for past five to six months. So many teachers, civil servants were already broke, were already didn't have enough to feed. Banks were not giving many. It was banks stopped operating. The environment for the chaos was already there, was already flourished. I don't know, was it natural? Was it incidental? Was it planned? And the moment they announced whoever want to go out, we help them, that's where the chaos started. And that's no one knew what to do, how to control, even the Taliban. They didn't know how to control. They were like, we didn't want to enter the Kabul because we agreed that would be a peaceful handover. But when we saw the, the chaos, we thought that that's the only option we get in and we need to secure. Otherwise, people's safety, people's security will definitely be in question. Amidst this backdrop of rising insecurity, the people of Afghanistan braced for what was to come next. Not many, if anyone, could have imagined the horrific scenes we saw coming from Kabul and the country as a whole, but we all remember what it ended up looking like. It must have been an extremely difficult situation, and many are still suffering from their experiences. It was a day before the collapse. It was 14th of August, I remember. I was in the office. I grabbed my staff. I was just like, because I didn't have the plan to come on 15th of August to office. I would say like, okay, I'll take my stuff and go home and prepare some of the things that I needed to prepare. I was at home. We just suddenly heard that the president left the country. He just flee. He just escaped. I don't know what word is proper to use that. So he left, just left everyone. Everyone was like, okay, the defense minister is here. Let's see what the, the vice president or the defense minister will do. Then we get the news that the two also left. So there's no one. And my mother, she has a heart surgery. So she's a heart patient. And uh, her medication always comes from outside Afghanistan because of the quality. And the quality has always been compromised in Afghanistan. And when we heard, we said that we really need to go out of this country because I don't want to really put you in danger. If I leave, there won't be anyone to look after you. And as far as I know, the situation will be worse what we are experiencing right now. So we backpacked and we went to the airport. It was an unbelievable moment, unbelievable. Day by day, people were rushing and flooding from all parts of the country. Every time we go and we see people coming from all south part, all east, all north coming here, where are you going? We're going to the US. We are going to any other secure country. We cannot stay. So the time me and my mom, um, we went, uh, the crowd just like circled us and we got separated. Uh, my mom, because she cannot walk two steps, she she goes out of breath. Uh, and they, this crowd pushed me in the front and pushed me and we got separated. I was like yelling and I was shouting, stop it. I don't want to go. Like my mom, we are, I, no one was listening. It's like kids were crying. Elders were just falling on the ground. You just imagine what was it? It was like disabled people. Everyone was trying to get close to the gate. So I just, I couldn't hold myself. I fell and people were stepping on me and they were kicking me. They were just pushing me on the ground. So finally I found a corner. I was standing there. I was trying to find my mom. It wasn't really, I wasn't able. It was people were just more and more every minute. The 
flood, you wouldn't be able to see it on those videos, what they are running away from, you can see from their faces. So I decided, no, uh, it's not going to work. I have to go back and just get my mom. I was really worried about her because many elders, they were passed away because people step on them and they couldn't really hold. I was, that was my greatest worry. So I just pushed back against the flow of the people and I found, finally found my mom. Uh, and I just, I told her, um, I don't think so we can make it. Um, let's, let's go home and see about something different. So we went back, we tried twice, it didn't work out. And finally I saw that they, they announced, you can register online with the State Department and Defense Department and they will draw a plan for your evacuation. So I did for me and for my mom, and they called us. They called us and told us to come to the gate. I told them that I have tried twice. I will not do it this third time. You either find me a way that we can really be evacuated. Otherwise, we would prefer to stay here because either way, you and it's the same destiny you will encounter. And they have told us that there's another gate that you have to come to that, that gate. I had no idea what that gate was about. Later, I found that was a, um, a ditch that you have to go into that ditch. And from that, you have to yell someone's name. And if anyone figure that that name is familiar, then they will call you. And then you have to, I don't know, you have to swim, you have to crawl on that ditch and then reach out to the gate and then they will take you out. It's really inhuman. I, I, I just found it very inhuman. And then I told them I will never go through this process. It's impossible. My mom is sick. I don't want to sacrifice this. In continuing conversations with her contact, they were offered a bus ride to the airport that will help them avoid the crowds and make sure that the proper people were getting through. They waited and waited for the bus to show up, only to find out that the Taliban had stopped letting those buses through, as some people being evacuated did not have the right paperwork. This set her up for one of the toughest decisions of her life, as she had the proper paperwork to exit the country. Her mother did not. And I say, okay, what are the other alternatives? We need to get out. If the bus doesn't work, then what's the other options? That the other option is not a good option. And that is only you can be evacuated, not your mother. And I was like, how is it possible? How can I leave my mom who's a heart patient here? Do you think it's a right decision to come out of Afghanistan for quite long? And I may not be able to find a way for my mom to get out of Afghanistan. So um, talking with my mom and seeing that what are the right options, what, what is the right decision to take? Is it leave you here or me staying with you to see if we can find alternatives? And then it's still not an easy decision to take. After making the decision that she can best help her mother by leaving the country now and working from the U.S. to help get her out of Afghanistan, she contacts her U.S. handler, who sets her up with transportation to an undisclosed location to await evacuation to the airport. They're flown by helicopter to the airport and are sitting in the back of a military transport when the suicide bombs were detonated outside of the gates. All chaos breaks out and... Everyone was running around, no one knew what's happening, and we were hearing all those explosions that's happening at the gate. So the choppers on the sky, 
putting light on that explosion area and the military people were just running around. So that night, the whole night we stayed at the airport runway outside. The weather was quite cold. It was only water. So you didn't have restrooms and no food the whole day with the kids and other people. We stayed the whole night. The morning, uh, we were all boarded a military airplane and we flew to Qatar. We arrived in Qatar and there was another unforgettable experience being in Qatar, Doha. There was all immigrants, evacuees and big tents with another chaos, a lot of people being worried what's next, what's going to happen there, of how we are being handled, where we will be taken, what about documents, so you would see women, kids, elders, sick people with pregnancy, people with so many other diseases, all were under one tent, it's overcrowded, it's warm, there's not better restrooms that you would use. Hygiene was compromised and I was alone, the only woman. I was so worried. They had all those military beds put side by side. And I was like, okay, uh, if family would have been there, it's much easier, but you never know who's going to lay beside you or sleep beside you. It was extremely unpleasant experience. I was looking around and seeing if I can find some familiar faces. Uh, so it, it really went bad there. Um, then finally, I reached out to a military guy and I told him that I am a green card holder. Is there any better place or for a single woman, a better place? So they just put me to a corner saying that this, this is the corner. You can stay there until your case is being processed. So that corner is also, you have a number of people with a green card that you don't know, men and women together. So I stayed in that corner. I, um, I spent, I believe, a night or two in Qatar. I didn't eat, I didn't drink because the experience of coming from Kabul and with the military plane, that was the idea that they will evacuate us from Qatar to states with the military plane. I didn't eat anything. I just starved myself uh, Thursday to make sure that I wouldn't be needing the uh, restrooms or anything. After several more hours of waiting, she was finally notified that her documents had been processed and she would be allowed to board a plane headed for the United States. Much to her surprise and relief, they were boarded onto a commercial flight for this long trip with a final destination of Washington, D.C. When I sat on those seats and I felt it's, uh, it's, it's so soft, it's so <laughs> comfortable, it's so cozy because I was entirely on the runway, on the floor, on all those hard, I don't know, seats I was sitting and I didn't feel my body. It was like all over. I was just thinking how I can get out of this, how I can get out of this alive. That was the only thinking that I had. So finally, when we boarded, I still remember it was Delta Airline commercial flights that, that we boarded. We flew to Germany. We stayed for some time. I don't know why, what was the reason. Then we uh, came all the way to DC, Dallas airport. And the process has taken us for um, some time. Um, and um, I came out as two in the morning, and the next day I flew to home. With her family here in the United States, this was not the end of her journey. Not only was her mother still stuck in Afghanistan, a part of herself was also left behind. What many might assume would have been a time of great joy and relief to have gotten out of the country in this extremely dangerous time actually led to a much different reaction. I 
should tell you there's no feeling. I didn't have a feeling for quite some time, quite some time actually, um, a month or something. I wasn't really listening to the music because I, I wasn't really want to see someone laughing or see someone enjoying because we came out of such a horrible moments and time and you are not in the stable of status of mind to be happy to feel the happiness and i was i was trying to listen to the music but i wasn't really able to listen it because it was fun it's joy and i wasn't really want to have that joy i really didn't want to be happy and uh, my whole family my kids and my husband that they were so worried they have seen that I'm really going through a difficult time. I was extremely traumatized, especially that I left a loved one behind. And it was, I thought that when I get in here, I will go and find a way for her to take her out, but she's still there. So my horror still continues. It didn't end with landing to the States. It didn't end by seeing my kids and my family. It's still there and it, it will be until I get her out of Kabul, until I make sure that she is in a safe place. How it's going to happen? Will it happen? I have no idea. It, it's something that I would be always thinking how I can do that. When we last talked, her mother was still stuck in Kabul and she's still trying to find a way to get her out of there. Life is very difficult these days. And it is set only to get harder as drought and famine set in for this country. International humanitarian aid is desperately needed, but there is a disagreement around the world as to how that should be provided and under what conditions. With assets frozen, missing, or stolen, there is little to no currency in the country, and it is near impossible to send remittances home under this situation. So the crisis of the poverty is definitely something that we need to be worried about. She has uh, medicines for now, but I'm sure she's going to run out of that very soon. She's entirely at home. She doesn't go out. Now the winter is coming up. The facilities are very limited in Afghanistan. With a person with a heart disease, it's extremely dangerous to be in a cold weather, limited facilities and no one there to help you. I still try the passport. They said that they are going to issue passports, those that they have medical conditions. We are trying to get a passport for her, but there's a long line. There's a crowd still. That's also a challenge. I don't know how we're going to be able to do it. She tells us that she's doing well, but you can see from her face how tired she is, how worried she is, and how alone she is. That's the biggest issue for us. I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm just looking at her, waiting to see what to do. Nothing is my hand. Nothing is in her hand. Uh, we're we're so helpless. I have I have I don't have anything to say actually. I want to thank our speaker for sharing her story to help people better understand what happened in the final days of America's longest war, and what the lasting scars mean for the country and its people. Many have reached out to ask what needs to and can be done to help the people of Afghanistan, which is a question I posed to our speaker. There has been a meeting for Afghanistan that there will be international support for the Afghan people, but it's being conditioned on the Taliban's uh, promises that they have made. But there's a question, 
why we are being punished for things that we haven't done. At least help us. What we have gone through that wouldn't be easy for anyone else to understand. But when we are pleading that we are dying, people are dying, kids are dying, it means they are really. And if there's a humanity left, then you need to help us as a people, as a global community. It's not only that you're in this country and we are in another country and it doesn't affect you. We are no longer separated from each other. It's we are all together. If something happens to me, it may happen next day to someone else in another part of the world. So we need to respond as a global community to help the Afghan people. Why be, we are being sacrificed. If you just go to the news, you would see that the woman killed her children because she doesn't have anything to feed them. A soldier suicide because he, he doesn't have enough to feed the family. These cases will go up more and more. It's gonna increase and it's, Every people around the world, we Afghan community also around the world as a diaspora, we need to look into some of the venues where we can help our people. If not the government, fine, the Taliban, fine, you condition it. But at least because of those conditions, don't kill us. Don't kill the nation, don't kill the people, don't kill the kids. I really want the people, I'm not asking for, any leadership or any president or any prime minister of any other countries to help us. That's a political level things that may not be able to influence, but as a people, we can, we can do something. Me, like you, like other people who are listening, we are a power, but if we come together, we will definitely bring a change. We can help our people. It's not only back in Afghanistan, there is way more, challenges the people who have been evacuated and they are in the bases here. Just go and see what they are going through. It's, it's miserable. It, it is really disappointing. It's, it's not human. It's really, really inhuman. So let's be a human and help each other as a people. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Global in the Granite State podcast, a production of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. Your support is key to our ongoing success and ability to build global networks that lead to a better understanding amongst people from all over the world. As always, the theme music for this podcast is Admin by A.A. Alto, and the interlude music is Asylum by Regular Gonzalez. Best wishes for a wonderful end of the year and we will see you in 2022. Stay well. Mm-hmm.